This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. So we're continuing our series in Colossians. Um, hopefully if you're reading through the letter a little bit, kind of on your own, you're starting to see some of the connections and themes that, that come through. Um, it's been encouraging for me. It's been a little while since I've jumped into Colossians and kind of like, um, yeah, spent a lot of time in it. So it's been neat to see how Paul is bringing up like different topics and, and different things throughout the whole letter. And our sort of summary of the letter, or, or maybe the thing where, where we're emphasizing the most as we go through this particular series, is that Paul is calling us to be heavenly minded so that we could be actually of earthly good. So we're talking about being of heavenly minded so that we can be of earthly good. And that shows up in the letter when he, when he tells us to put our, our minds uh, in heaven where, where Christ is. Uh, or earlier when he talks about giving thanks uh, to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, where, 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 all, where all grace and peace is sort of how he, he begins and ends the letter. He talks about grace from God our Father at the beginning and the end. And he's saying this is that grace from God our Father, that, that joy that's in his presence that... Uh, the, the, the Christ that we worship, who, who Tim read for us earlier, who is the creator of all things, who is the firstborn from the dead, who is in heaven, that's our, our eternal hope of glory that's set up there in heaven. So when our, when our hope and when our minds and when our thoughts and when our, when, when our, our uh, emphasis is on the, these heavenly realities, on where Christ is, on God himself, then that's what enables us that's what equips us to be of earthly good. So that's sort of the, the, the broad strokes of sort of what we're talking about in Colossians. And I think this section that we're about to get into is where Paul is explaining a little more. Paul is trying to help us understand sort of the implications a little bit more as he goes through this small letter of what Jesus Christ has actually done and how that affects us, and, and how that actually equips us, and how that gives us resources, or how that uh, uh, is such a, a wonderful, true reality that should draw and focus our attention upward so that, so that we are of some earthly good. And that's sort of, he's gonna sort of explain that a little bit more as we walk through this section. So we're gonna look at uh, this idea of the mystery. And sort of the outline that I have for this morning is the wonder of the mystery, the power of the mystery, and then recognizing the mystery. The wonders, I mean, you could say power, I don't know. These are, these are just helpful little uh, ways to walk us all the way through. The wonder of the mystery, the power of the mystery, and then recognizing the mystery. Yes. So I think all too often we can say these sort of like ethereal things about how wonderful, how glorious, how majestic Jesus is and how powerful he is and how, how he's working and building his kingdom. Um, but we, day to day, it's harder to see that. You know, and that was, you know, that was uh, uh, vivid even as we were praying this morning um, of, of just thinking about some of the difficult things that are in the news even this morning. And it's hard to recognize then this, this glorious mystery of what Christ is doing because there's so many other things sort of coming at us. And so that's where we're kind of going is how do we recognize 
how do we recognize what Christ is doing, who he is, and, and his, how he's working in our community and around us? So let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that you are equipping your people. Thank you, Lord, that you dwell in us, um, that your spirit has been poured out from heaven so that you will build your church and the gates of hell won't stand against it, Lord. I thank you that you are ruling and reigning in your kingdom and I pray that your spirit would just lead us, lead us to see how wonderful the mystery is that has been revealed. Lead us to just understand and believe the reality that you have equipped us so that we could recognize what you're doing in this world. So I thank you for this time. I thank you for Colossians, Lord, and I pray that your spirit would work just make us leave here more impressed with the beauty of the gospel of your son. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So let's start, um, let's start with just verse 24. We read a couple of verses and then we'll go from there. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's talking to the church at Colossae. And Paul, as far as we know, is in prison too. So he's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings, specifically we could say his imprisonment, for your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. And I want to touch on what he means by that, but let's keep going just for a moment. Verse 25, of which I became a minister or, or a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. And he expands on that in the next verse. So what is he trying to make known? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. I was thinking about that even as we um, sang Rock of Ages. Um, God of the ages, we use the word the ages. And he's saying the mystery has been hidden for ages, but has now been revealed. And it's, this, it's sort of this like big, booming statement that this is this mystery that's been that's been covered up in some way, shape, or form for ages and generations has now been revealed. And I, and I was like, how do I explain maybe like how do we miss sometimes the significance of, of the things that God reveals? And I was thinking about those movies. Um, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, like M. Night Shyamalan or something, you know? Yeah, Shyamalan. Okay, yeah, you guys know what I'm saying. And like... <laughs> The end of the movie, if you've ever seen uh, Signs or what's the, is he the I See Dead People one? Yeah? Sixth Sense. Yeah, I don't know if that's him. That's very much in the same, like, genre. At the end of the movie, like, spoiler alert, the guy was, like, not alive the whole time. Or, you know, or, or like, one of the scary monsters was just this other kind of thing. And at the end, it just, it's like, all kind of becomes clear. But, but then it makes the previous stuff more interesting. You're like, oh, that in that scene, this was what was happening, or or whatever, or oh, when that happened, that was because of this. Now that I now that I know uh, that the mystery has been revealed, and I and, and it's it's only fun. And I think those movies, when those movies come out, people are just like, no, 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 don't. You know, you want to like tell your friend, you're like, oh, it was like, oh, but I can't. You know, like you can't can't tell you the thing because if I tell you the thing, it'll make the rest of the movie not that enjoyable. And I feel like sometimes we read the New Testament and, and we know like, oh, okay, this mystery, this mystery about Jesus is revealed and we talk about it and we haven't seen like any of the other parts of the movie. <laughs> we like just get the like spoiler alert part and we're like, oh, okay, this is cool, you know, that's cool. But then you didn't, you didn't go through the whole movie 
to like get there. And so Paul is in this place who's, who's very familiar with the Old Testament. Paul is very familiar with all of the things that have been happening for ages and for generations. And so when Jesus is revealed, he's like, oh, oh, that's what this was. Oh, that's what this was in scripture. Oh, now that makes sense. And so he's, he's, as he's explaining this to the, to the Colossian church, as he's writing this letter, he has all of this earlier part of the movie <laughs> kind of in his background. And it's like, it's a more wonderful, amazing thing for him. So for, I think for us to kind of wrap our heads around the, the wonders of this mystery, we have to have a little bit of the previous parts of the film. <laughs> we have to go back a little bit and say, what is now that has been revealed, this mystery, that's the idea of a mystery. It's, it's something that was not totally unknown, like just like the movie example, you, you remember what happened in the movie and then when the mystery is revealed, now previous things make more sense. So it's not like it wasn't there the whole time. It's just that now that you kind of understand what's happening, it makes previous things make more sense. So that's kind of what he means by mystery. And there's only one place, there's only one place in all of the Old Testament where there's this idea of mystery that's made known from God that gives wisdom and understanding. There's only one place in the Old Testament where this repeated idea of mystery comes up. Other than Tim, because he's reading some of the commentary for his sermon, does anyone have any idea where this idea of mystery comes up? It comes up in the book of Daniel. Pretty heavily. Pretty heavily. And I almost, I, you know, you could, we, we're not going to have time um, to preach through the book of Daniel because I, there's a timer over there and I usually watch that. Um, but if you know anything about the book of Daniel, he, the, the Jewish people go off into exile and Daniel's sort of like the, uh, the stereotypical guy that like stands for the Lord, stands strong for the Lord. And no matter what happens, he, he trusts what God is going to do. And so there's a situation where the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is, um, has a crazy dream. And it just like rattles him. And I don't, I don't know if he has it. I think he has it multiple nights, but he has this dream and he just wakes up troubled. And you think about this, this is like, uh, you know, we don't, this is so far back in history. It's like Alexander the Great. It's like this guy that's just like ruling and reigning over an entire empire. Money is no object. Countries are no object. You know, it's just like he is as, as, as high up in the chain. Uh, if, if he wants it, he gets it. There's nothing that like holds him back from things. And you can look in history that uh, didn't go so well when men had that much power and authority. Um, it wasn't so good, the Babylonian kingdom and some of the things that they've done. But he's in this position where he's just troubled by a dream. And he's like, man, I want my, I want my wise men. I want the people kind of in my court to tell me not only what the dream means, but just so I know they're not pulling a fast one on me, they need to tell me what the dream is. So I'm not even going to tell him. And they're like, hey, we can't do that. And he's like, cool, then you're all going to die. Like, for real. Go, go tell me the dream and then tell me what it means or everyone is dead. And you know what? Decree that across all of my kingdom. So it must have been a disturb. you know, it must have troubled him. It wasn't just like a, you know, oh, I don't barely remember the dream. It must have just like kind of rattled him a little bit. So then Daniel says... Daniel says, let me go before God 
who reveals mysteries. Let me go to God, the one who makes known, the one who who takes mysteries and reveals them and gives wisdom and knowledge. And he goes and prays before the Lord and the Lord reveals this mystery to Daniel that he then explains to the king. And the dream is interesting. It's a statue of the gold head and I think silver chest piece and the, the materials get less cool all the way down, but it's generally been understood as a history of the, the major kingdoms of the world. And so much so, it explains so much of the history of the world that m- most people say, well, Daniel definitely wasn't written when we thought it was written. <laughs> like it explains too much of the history of the world that it must have been written way over here because it makes too much sense. In, in the book of Daniel, he's saying, no, I worship the God who reveals mysteries. I worship the God who is wisdom and knowledge. I worship the God that, that makes sense of everything. So when I tell you what this dream means and what that means for the rest of the world, I trust in that God because he's the one who reveals mysteries. And at the, in this dream of this statue, at the end of this dream, there's this rock that's this kingdom that comes and destroys the statue And this kingdom then grows and becomes an eternal kingdom. So you have like the the, uh, Babylonian Empire, you have the Persian Empire. There's some debate on kind of where it it makes sense. And then you end up with the Roman Empire. And then all of a sudden this, this rock comes and destroys the statue and this kingdom grows for forever. So the, so you can actually I think it's helpful when you're looking in your Bible to sort of ask the question, hey, when these words come up or when these concepts come up, where else do these things come up? Is this the first time that God has spoken about this thing? Is this, a, is this the first time this idea of mystery has, has come up? Um, so we can, when we go to Daniel and say, okay, this is mystery and wisdom and knowledge and God revealing things is a really big part of the book of Daniel. Um, but it's interesting, even in the first century, a lot, there's like Jewish writings that are very much focused on some of the things in Daniel because it's like, it's almost like today where people read the book of Revelation, they're like, oh, I want to figure out like, like, what is this? You know, what's the timing of all this stuff? And you have a lot of like a Jewish apocalyptic writings where they're sort of trying to figure out what is this mystery that's in Daniel? And so I thought it would be interesting to sort of, so you have this idea of these kingdoms that are coming and this eternal kingdom that will come. It's part of the mystery that's in Daniel. But there's another part of the mystery. So uh, as Daniel goes on, he actually gets more like visions. The angels show up or, or God shows up on the scene and he gets these visions that are a little bit, little bit more intense necessarily than the king's dream. And so chapter seven, I think I've got it on the screen here. This is part of a vision that Daniel has. He has this vision that parallels some of the four kingdoms in the statue. There's these four beasts that represent four kingdoms and they're killed. And it says in verse 13, I saw in the night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And if you're Daniel, this sounds very much like the thing you interpreted for the king earlier in chapter two. I'm losing it. 
So he's, he's, he's getting this vision, and he's seeing this thing, and I love what is said next, because <laughs> I don't know if I would have the, if I'm seeing a vision, I'm not sure I would respond the way Daniel did. Maybe it just became normal for him. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the vision of my head alarmed me, so I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. <laughs> Like, you're having this crazy vision, and you're like, oh, I should go ask this guy over here. You know, like, like in the middle of the vision. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. He asked, okay, what is this? So he told me, uh, which, you know, that's smart. You're having a crazy vision? Ask one of the guys in your crazy vision what it means. So, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are the four kings who shall rise out of the earth. So, again, kind of paralleling. The, the kingdoms that are predicted in the statue dream that came up from earlier. This idea that there's this forever kingdom that's coming. But the saints of the Most High shall re- receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Forever, forever and ever. So here's another mystery that adds on to this. In the vision, who possesses the kingdom, the dominion and the everlasting dominion. 13 and 14. It's not the saints. It's one like the son of man. So he sees someone like the son of man, an individual, go up to the ancient of days, which is a, uh, a word for Yahweh, for God. And this individual received a kingdom. This individual received a kingdom. And when he asks the angel or whoever was there in his vision, hey, what is this all about? He says the saints, plural, will receive the kingdom. That's the interpretation of the vision inside the vision. It's like visionception right there. So now we have this like compounded complex thing we have all these kingdoms that will come and then we have a kingdom that will be eternal and we have an individual one that Daniel would know would crush the head of the serpent that receives a kingdom but it's not an individual that receives a kingdom it's all of the people of God that receive the kingdom that's the interpretation of this So if I'm a first century Jew, if I'm Paul, if I'm someone that's familiar with Daniel and I'm trying to put these pieces together, I'm trying to figure out a way to understand this mystery. I haven't got to the ends of signs yet or whatever the other movie is I keep forgetting. (laughs) I haven't got to the end where it all makes sense. And I'm trying to put together what is this individual that will come and set up an eternal kingdom What is up with the saints that received the kingdom, all these people that will receive the kingdom? And what is this kingdom that crushes all other kingdoms that's eternal and forever? How do I make sense of this mystery? And it's fascinating, even in the book of Daniel, it says, hey, uh, this isn't for this age. This, all of the stuff that you're learning about Daniel, seal it up because it's for another age and for another generation. So you have a lot of the same language as Paul's using in Colossians that shows up in the book of Daniel. 
So here's what, let's flip back over to Colossians. Right before our last passage in Colossians 1, verse 13, he said, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to what? To this kingdom. The kingdom of his beloved son. So we have this idea of kingdom. Verse 25 is kind of what we read earlier. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Oh, saints, that's a familiar word. So the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations that was sealed up in Daniel, and now we have a kingdom in the, in the, in the revelation or the revealing of this mystery is now revealed to his saints. Amen. What is this mystery? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, so not just the Jews, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which is Christ in you. The one we just talked about who is eternal, who is the firstborn from the dead, who is over all authorities and powers and principalities. The one who we just talked about, who transferred us into his beloved kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that's not going anywhere, a kingdom that we share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The, the mystery is now revealed. The aha moment that makes sense of everything that has come before is the reality that Jesus Christ, as he's sitting on his heavenly throne, ruling and reigning in a real sense, is in you. Amen. So much so that the Old Testament can say when the Son of Man went and received the kingdom, and so what does that mean? Well, the saints got the kingdom. There's such a deep connection between us and between our Lord that our Bible can speak of both aspects without even really shifting. And now the mystery has been revealed not just to the Jewish people. Now we can see that this kingdom that Jesus is building isn't just a little plot of land near the Mediterranean, which I wouldn't mind going to the Mediterranean, but it's everywhere. This kingdom is, is growing larger than any other kingdom. This kingdom is expanding across all of the world. This kingdom has a king and resources like no other king before it. And, and the mystery that makes sense of everything in all of history that even the book of Daniel sort of spanned out over, over centuries in a prophecy from, from forever ago, the thing that makes sense of this mystery that was sealed up in the Old Testament is now revealed to us is the reality that Jesus Christ is in you. That's the wonder of this mystery. How does it feel? How does it feel to see the unlocking of all of the Old Testament in the reality that the king we worship dwells in you.
that's a little bit amazing. You're the saints that now have the glories of this mystery revealed. Christ in you is why you have the hope of glory. You can go back and, and read about what the, uh, what the one who will crush the head of the serpent will do. You can go back and read about, about this king that will come that's like David. You can go back and read about how someone will approach the very throne room of God because they earned it, deserved it, and now received the kingdom of God. You can go back and see all these glorious, majestic, and wonderful things that the Old Testament is pointing us towards so that we can be in the very presence of God. It's easy to go back and look at that stuff and lose hope because that's not me. Because I could never achieve that. Because the bar is set too high. And Paul is saying, no, the glory of the mystery is that Christ dwells in you. That's why you have hope of glory. That's why you can rest. That's why he can say later that the peace of Christ can dwell in you. That's glorious. And there's implications to that. It's not just that God orchestrated all of history to reveal that mystery to you. He does something with that. Look at what Paul says then. Makes sense in 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. If he is our hope of glory, he's who we proclaim. If he is the one that's able to bring us into the throne room of God, he's the one we proclaim. He's the one we teach. It's interesting, he says, teaching and warning everyone. Jesus is on his throne, ruling and reigning. Not everyone is a big fan of that. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar having all authority and say in anything that's going on because of the Babylonian Empire. He didn't speak the world into existence. That's the kind of power and authority our king has. And I love the first account of sharing the gospel in Acts. I go back to this pretty regularly because it's like literally the opposite of how we share the gospel. The first account in Acts is they're like, you guys, the one you killed, Jesus Christ, is now enthroned as the Messiah and Lord and King. What are you going to do about that? And everyone's like, oh no, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> That's the, we killed the wrong person, this is dangerous. It says repent and believe and be part of the kingdom. And thousands were baptized that day. That's not really our approach to evangelism, but it's, he's making the point that like, I have been looking for this mystery that's now been revealed in this Lord and King that's sitting on the throne. And anyone that goes against him, just like in the book of Daniel, will be crushed. He is the hope of glory. Amen. Verse 29. Because of this Christ that we worship, that we, that's made everything make sense. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
all of his energy, his energy, but he powerfully works within me. This is the power of that mystery. This is the power of having the king of the universe sitting on the throne and dwelling in you. It's his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's writing to the Colossians. He wants to encourage them. He's in this very letter. He's trying to make known the wonders of this mystery. So when he says, for this I toil, him we proclaim, his letter is is doing all these things. He's writing this letter, praying for, rejoicing in what, what God is doing expanding the, the, the knowledge of the Colossians of what Jesus is doing and who he is. And he's writing this letter and he's sending people to go share this information with them. And, and he even tells them, share this information, share this letter with the church in Laodicea. And, and I sent them a letter, take that letter, read that letter. Paul, Paul is toiling, even in prison, to make the word of God fully known. And he does this with the power that's dwelling in him, Christ himself the same power that dwells in you. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he wants them to know. Like he's toiling, and he's writing for them, and he's rejoicing even in his suffering, and this is what he wants them to know. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged. He's like, I want you to know how this powerful king is working in me. The the power is being worked out in me as I struggle for you. And I want you to know about that so that you can be encouraged, so that you can begin to recognize what Jesus is doing in and through us. But it's encouraged. He goes on. Being knit together in love. Being knit together in love. We'll expand upon this a little bit in the next chapter or so. But this is what Jesus is empowering us to do. Yes, Lord. That this, uh, his energy that he powerfully works within me is not so I can get the right stock ticker and win a million dollars and buy a car. You have to ask me about that later. Funny story with a neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, so. (laughs) Um, the, 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 The reason why he's powerfully working in us is not so I can hit my workout goals this week. The reason why he's powerfully working in us is not so things can be smooth at work. I wish that was in here somewhere. Um. The reason why he's powerfully working in us is so that we can be knit together in love. Amen. So there can be care and compassion, gentleness, considering others as more important than yourself. That's what he's powerfully doing. 
and I, you know, I brought up some of those situations, whether it's like work stress or workout goals or whatever. Um, how many of those situations make being gentle hard? How many of those situations and those stresses make caring for others more than yourself feel impossible? How many of those situations make rejoicing and having joy seem like a joke to even recommend that? It's like we would need something very powerful inside of us that's capable of producing that. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what Paul is striving to make known to everyone. Amen. And not just to be knit together in love, he goes on to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Amen. That's a mouthful. To reach all the riches of full assurance. He's like, I'm telling you some pretty amazing, ridiculous things about God's forever kingdom and its power to work inside of you. Amen. And I'm proclaiming it over and over again. It's a joy for me to write these things to you because I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance. I want you to be sure of this. Full, all the riches of full assurance. Of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, which is our Messiah, which is our Lord. And this is one of my favorite little phrases in Scripture. In whom, this is the one that's inside of you, who's dwelling in you, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, who dwells in you, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's like, I want you to be really assured of that. I want you to have full assurance to, of all the riches, which are all wisdom and knowledge, dwelling in Christ, that's in you. That's why he can powerfully work in you. That's why he can produce love that's knitted together in situations that would just seem very impossible for that. Amen. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I said the power of the mystery. I almost wanted that to be like the resources of the mystery. Like think of the resources that is. It's difficult to be united together in love. It's difficult to even know what to do in a given day. But if we have the resources that include in that list of things that we have, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, his power working powerfully in us, he is very capable of producing love in his people. He is very capable of knitting us together. Amen. So sometimes, sometimes these things seem, maybe I say sometimes, 
most of the times, these things seem a little distant from our day to day. Most of the times, our experience of, of Christ dwelling in you, of the, all the wisdom, I mean, how many times a week do you feel like I don't have all the wisdom and knowledge? Right? This morning, when I were trying to connect audio without Ben. Um, but whether that was connected or not, God has fully equipped us to do that with gentleness and patience, with joy, with one another. Because that's what he's doing. That's what he's working towards. And there was a lot of that this morning. I was really thankful for that. <laughs> Even while we're trying to figure things out. There's uh, the, the Levi and Tim were kind and gracious as we figured it out. The people in the back that are hiding that don't want to be named were also <laughs> very patient with everybody else. So I appreciate that. That's, that's God working love knitting us together. Amen. Because we have all amen. Yes. Arwen's like, I've led worship. I know that the power needs to be there to give us peace and joy when things are not <laughs> going together. Uh, that's, that's what he does, though. That's awesome. And those are things that we just don't often recognize. We don't see what he's doing. And, then, and he, I think that he kind of gets at this a little bit when he tells us why he's telling us all this stuff, why we miss out, why we don't recognize what God is working and doing. He says, I say this in order... Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Yes, Paul. So we think about what God is doing, loving and knitting us together. There are a lot of plausible things in our life that we think will fix all of that. It makes sense to me if, uh, more, you know, if, if I just know more about the audio stuff, then, then I don't have to worry about that, you know? Like, that's kind of the impulse I have. Like, I just need to know more about it, and I just need to handle it, and I need to do all this stuff. And that makes sense. Like, that's plausible. Then we won't ever have to stress about it. And then I'll, uh, then I'll just show up two hours before church every Sunday and figure it all out, you know? That's plausible, right? <laughs> that won't cause any pressure points in my life anywhere. <laughs> so, there's these, like, there's these things, that, and that's a silly one, but maybe it's at work. You know, if maybe I didn't have this boss or this coworker, then I would have peace and joy and all those things, you know? That's plausible. That makes sense. Maybe if my kid napped right on time and woke up right on time, you know? <laughs> maybe if he just listened sometimes, you know? Those are, those are like plausible things in our heads that are that are going through and we're saying, well, this, will, this is what will bring love that will knit us together. This is what will bring grace and peace from God. Sometimes it's ourselves. I just need to do X. If I could just stop doing Y. If God would just change this thing about me, then I would have all the things that I need to lean into others and to show love and be knit together. There's so many plausible things. There's so many plausible things that veer us away from the power and the majesty of the mystery that's been revealed to us. That's Christ in you. Amen. There's so many things that veer us away from that. So Paul ends this little section, at least right here. Verse 5. says, For though I am absent in body... Yet I am with you in spirit, 
rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. Leave it to Paul, quite the optimist. <laughs> He's saying, I'm, I'm rejoicing, even though I'm not there. I'm united to you with the Spirit. Like, we are all part of the same body. We have the same Christ dwelling in us. He says elsewhere, there's one body, there's one Spirit, there's one Lord. We're united together. And as I write this to you, as I tell you all these wonderful things about who Christ is and what he's doing, I look forward to seeing him work in you. Amen. Which goes back to what he says at the beginning of the letter. I rejoice always because the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Not that it might, not that it could if you did X. He's an optimist because he knows the Lord that he worships. He knows that the Christ dwelling in you is going to produce something. It's going to make a difference in your life. It's going to change things. And he's writing to these people he's never met. And he's saying, I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in you. I rejoice to see your good order in the firmness of your faith. The reality that you will trust in the God who is dwelling in you more and more and more. I look forward to seeing that. And I think this kind of gives us a little bit of a hint on how you and I can begin to recognize more of this mystery. Because we just don't, a lot. We wake up in the morning and our heads are in a million different places and we're not thinking about what Jesus is doing and then weeks can go by sometimes and we don't see or get a grip on what the gospel is doing in and through us or what the gospel is doing in those around us. It's just hard. And this comes up so many times in Paul that he's going to later, he's going to tell us, he's going to tell us, keep praying, keep considering the Lord and going before him with thanksgiving. This has come up a couple of times already in the first couple of chapters. This will come up again later in the next chapter where he tells us to do uh, whatever we do, do everything giving thanks to God our Father through him. He's showing us and later will tell us that if we're going to recognize where God is working to produce love, patience, peace, joy, and to produce trust in him, we need to get into the habit of thanking him and worshiping him for that. We need to get into the habit of rejoicing in, looking for, and recognizing what God is doing. Because if we believe if we have faith, if we take what God says seriously, that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, if that's true, why would we not then look for it? Looking for what God is doing is an act of faith. Scrolling on Google News won't help you find that. Not today, at least. I think scrolling on Instagram will help you find that, though. No, I'm just kidding. It takes work a little bit. How often do you sit down and think, where has God given me more love for others? Where has God given me patience in a situation? Where has God powerfully worked kindness in me? 
Where have I seen that in someone in the community? How often are my prayers always with thanksgiving? I mean, mine aren't always, and reading Colossians has been super convicting on them front. We don't recognize, we're not going to recognize the mystery if we don't look for ways that God is producing love in us and producing love in others. We don't recognize the mystery if we don't think about how we trust him in things and how other people trust him in things. You could, this is just all over the book of Colossians. Paul says, I rejoice always when I pray for you because of what God is doing. Look what he says, and I said I'd come back to this. In verse 24, he's in prison. Prison is like not a super comfortable place in the first century. They didn't have air conditioning. Nothing is a super comfortable place in the first century. Prison is probably worse. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's saying, I am so much a part. My suffering is being so much a part of what Christ is doing. My suffering, my personal suffering, Jesus, or Paul is saying my personal suffering is actually being used to build up the church. Not in an atoning way, like Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished. Our sins are covered. He's going to build his church, but he has a way to do that. He has a means by which he does that. Jesus accomplished the most wonderful, amazing, glorious act of God in the most painful suffering that we will never know or experience. The wrath of God, God himself, much less the cross. But it's through that suffering that God produced all of these wonderful things. And Paul's like, same. That's how God works. And I rejoice when I'm suffering because I see what he's doing. I see that he's still building the church. I see that he's still producing fruit and growing. I see that he's still bringing unity through my suffering and through your suffering as we grow together. And my desire then, just like with, with Christ, I'm so connected to Jesus, my desire then is that we're all built up to image him, that we all suffer to his glory. He says in Romans, he says, if we share in his sufferings, then we share in his glory. We share in his power and his authority as we, as we also are enthroned as he is enthroned. So much so that Daniel can say, how do I interpret this thing? Oh, that's the saints receiving the kingdom. There's just a, a wonderful, glorious mystery that you and I are that deeply wrapped up with Christ. That even through our suffering, and especially through our suffering, he's using that to build up others. And if we don't recognize what he's doing, if we don't take time to see where he's producing love, to see where he's producing faith, to see where he's knitting his people together and praise him and worship him and thank him and go before him with those things, we're not going to recognize it. We're not going to see it. And we'll mostly just be discouraged. I think the beauty of this is the more that we begin to see what God is doing, the more we, we get closer to getting all the riches of full assurance. Amen. All the riches of full assurance. And like Paul, 
as we want to make this wonderful mystery known to others, we can say, look forward to seeing how that works in you. I look forward to seeing God build his kingdom because I see him doing it because I recognize him. That's the wonder and beauty of this mystery. The fact that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. He's given us a way to recognize that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for just the number of different ways you uh, communicate to us in scripture. Lord, um, God, your, your psalms are, are wonderful expressions of, of how we feel in situations and letters from Paul are just expounding wonderful and beautiful truths about your king and what you're doing and who you are and how we can draw near to you, Lord. And, and we can see your character and your love as even recently went through John. There's, you are coming at us with so many wonderful, beautiful truths about who you are. Amen. As we're exposed to your word being made known, we trust you more. We trust you more. And we want to trust you more, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We rejoice that you have produced a measure of trust in and through us, Lord. Do more of that. We know you're going to do more of that. Lord, I thank you for the love that you produce in your saints. I thank you that you've given us peace at times. I thank you that you've given us joy, that you've given us kindness, that you've... Uh, You've, you've stifled bitterness and anger in, in so many different hearts at so many different levels. Lord, it's easy for us to look at our failures um, and focus on those, but you call us to draw our eyes on what you're doing so that we can recognize the wonders of the glorious mystery, which is Christ in us. Amen. He is so competent. He is capable of changing us. Lord, I thank you for that. In your name I pray, amen.